0: As, I guess, 21st century Christians, or pretty much any time after 1st century Christians, uh, we have not thought of a physical thing that would represent God. We've not thought of a, uh, like an item that would actually represent God to us. Um, that's not been, because Jesus came to this earth, Jesus is God. He represents God because He is God. He came to this earth, He lived His life. Um, died his death was resurrected ascended into heaven and so for us God is in heaven that's where we think about God but we also recognize that the Holy Spirit came down to this earth in a spirit form and he indwelled each and every believer so when we think about the presence of God or entering into the presence of God or, or something that exemplifies the presence of God it's ultimately the Holy Spirit in us we carry with us the presence of God as believers Um, So it's difficult for us maybe to imagine that there was a thing, an item, that represented the presence of God, uh, but that's exactly what was going on in the days of David. Uh, David um, was was, uh, dealing with, in the passage we'll study, he was dealing with something called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Now, the the Ark of the Covenant was was like a, a chest that God had commanded the people of Israel to build. Inside that chest, there were several items. There were the, the stone tablets, which were the, the law of God, but there was also the covenant of God that was in there. There was manna. Uh, there, was, there were the, the staff of Aaron that, that had flowered. There were several things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Those were representations of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, of God's commitment to the people of Israel and their commitment to Him. On the outside of the Ark of the Covenant, it was this beautiful, um, I, I guess, piece of furniture, but, but it, it, it represented the throne of God on this earth. And so the top of it, they called it the mercy seat. And so there would, there would have been something that would have looked like a seat, but kind of opposed to each other, there would have been cherub, uh, so angel uh, images that were above the Ark of the Covenant. It would have been a beautiful piece of craftsmanship um, made out of acacia wood and laid with gold and just, it would have been this beautiful thing, but it represented the presence of God. Now God had been incredibly specific about every detail of the Ark of the Covenant, and had been incredibly specific about the moving of the Ark of the Covenant. So, uh, since the conquest, the Ark had rested in the home of a Levite, or you might say tent, but in in the dwelling place of a Levite. So, down through the years, it it always lived or stayed in the house, the dwelling place of a Levite. Um, And that's where it is as David kind of becomes king. Now, we know that eventually that the Ark of the Covenant would be brought into the temple into the Holy of Holies. That temple had not yet been built. In fact, they had just taken the city, Jerusalem, where the temple would eventually be built in the next generation. So today, we will watch as David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the city uh, while he is celebrating the Lord. And so as we watch this, that's an important thing, that we watch how they celebrate God as they go in. Uh, So um, the sermon in a sentence is this, the Lord demands our obedient faith and in some cases even our shame if we are to follow him perfectly. There are several ideas in this passage, but as as we kind of link them together, what we're going to see is an example of, uh, of, of people worshiping God uh, we're also going to see a uh, how God requires obedience, but we're going to see God's holiness. In, in all of this, ultimately what we're going to see is how we as people live before and please a holy God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to read this passage for you. It's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 through 23. So it's the whole chapter. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30 now this wouldn't have been every person living in israel or all the men it was it was an army and it was actually one of the first times We see a national army see there were 12 tribes in israel And so usually it was the men of judah or the men of uh, this tribe or that tribe. This was the men of israel So it was a national army that he had there 30,000 of them which is not a small number especially not in ancient times Many battles were just among hundreds, and so this would have been a pretty large army, but they're not going to fight. So it says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, uh, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, uh, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres. That's not people that don't tell the truth, that's like a stringed instrument. Uh, So lyres and harps and tambourines um, and uh, castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, uh, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark uh, and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and the place there is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. So Perez means to break out or the breakout. Um, So it is the breakout against Uzzah uh, is is what the name of that place is to this day, it says. Now verse 9, And David was afraid of the Lord, Uh, that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of the Lord. So David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fat, fatted animal. I'll, I'll explain later, but just notice that the first time round the ark was sitting on a cart. This time there are people carrying it. Also, there were people worshiping both times, but in this instance, the, the men carrying the ark take six steps, and then there was a sacrifice. So just notice the difference in the transportation methods uh, from the first attempt and the second attempt. Verse 14, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with, this, with the sound of the horn, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out and saw uh, or looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel both men and women a cake of bread a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one then all the people departed each to his house and David returned to bless the household or to bless his household but Michal the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said how the king of Israel honored himself today Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, uh, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Mishael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and will be abased in your eyes But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And my the daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. Okay, so as we get into this, the first thing we're going to see is this event that led to the fear of the king. So that's what we'll talk about first is the fear of the king. Um, so, we have moved a, a chapter ahead from where we were yesterday, and in that, David won two victories against the Philistines, and these were resounding victories. So, after twin victories against the Philistines, David knew it was important to bring the Ark of the Covenant into his fortified city. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, the house that it was in, was very near the border between what Israel claimed as their land and what the, uh, the Philistines had claimed as their land. In this last battle, where David had a great victory, he, they actually carried away the idols of the Philistines and, and destroyed them. So David knew that there was a chance that the Philistines would strike back against um, Israel, and they may try to take the Ark of the Covenant. They've already done that. It did not go well for them, but they might have tried again. And so that was why David thought that this was an important time to bring the Ark into his city. Re- remember, The city that David has, the city of Jerusalem, is on a hill. At this time, the prominent feature is there was a fortress there. And it was supposed to be a very secure fortress. Remember, the Jebusites said that that David could bring his... Uh, men against the the fortress, and he could de- they could defend the walls with the blind and the lame, and David still wouldn 't be able to take it Now God was with David, so David was able to take it. but what that indicates to us is there were probably walls and battlements that it was probably a secure and safe place for the, the Ark of the Covenant to be. And so that's why David wanted to bring it there, so that it couldn't be taken uh, by the pagan Philistines. And so he gathers this army, this army of 3,000 people. And again, it's a national army. It's from, from all over Israel. And so that lets us know that David is not just leading his tribe or even uh, Benjamin and, and Judah. He is leading all the nations of Israel or all the tribes of Israel at this point going forth to do a, this is a national job. The moving of the Ark of the Covenant is a national job. So there is a national army that goes with it. Now, here's what's important about this. It's not just the army, but it is all the people of Israel join in during this. And so from our modern eyes, what you might imagine is a a parade Going from one side of Israel to the other, of all the people celebrating they 're singing, they have music they're, 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 there's a it, it might look to us like a festive party, but that 's not what it is. This is a moving worship service, and, and that 's what 's going on, not moving as in oh, my heart was moved, moving as in they 're going from point a to point b, so they 're moving as they 're worshiping uh, the Lord and, and bringing about the, um, the the art to the to the, to, the, um, to the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Bible was very specific about how the ark was to be moved. And remember, the people of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and, and they would move when God told them to move. They had the tabernacle, they had the ark, so they had that was like well-documented how you move the ark. And so Levites were supposed to be the ones that would carry or bear the ark and and move it from place to place. That was God had prescribed every step of the way how they were supposed to do that. So when we read here in in chapter 6, and we we read um, in in verse 3 where it says, and they carried the ark of God on a new cart, the good is they made a new cart. They dedicated it for this purpose and it had not been used for anything else. It belonged only to the purpose of carrying the ark. That's the good. The bad news is that's not how you do it. Uh, The the bad news is it was supposed to be Levites carrying it along, not the ark resting on a cart. It's a good idea. It's just not God's way. So it's important, I think, for us to recognize at this particular time that David was doing a good thing. Um, He was doing what God would lead him to do, and he was not stepping out of God's will by what he did, it was how he did it. God had a very um, specific way that it was supposed to happen. Now, as this parade or progression of people travel, there's a certain point where it goes downhill. Um, It it says that the oxen stumble. So the oxen that were pulling the cart that the ark was resting on, they stumble. And so what we have kind of, we can see probably soldiers stretching out a long way before, a long way behind, people, celebrants, all around celebrating and singing and worshiping. But there at the head and at the back were sons of the priest. And so Uzzah was there behind the Ark of the Covenant. It was like he was driving the oxen. He was behind the Ark of the Covenant on that cart and the oxen began to stumble. And so you can imagine, this is tragedy. I mean, this is... This would have been a terrible thing for the ark to fall and to break. Um, The mistake that that Uzzah makes and, and the mistake that Israel as a whole tend to make, God could protect his ark. God could protect his people. God can protect what is his. God is the defender of what is his. He doesn't need our help to defend what is his. So... This is not in my notes this is totally for free if you see somebody saying something bad about God or you see somebody saying something bad about the church or bad about Christians that's probably not the time to step in and argue now if you can in a in a very calm and well thought out way defend what you believe and what you know to be true that's one thing but God can defend his own and so if it looks like it's going to be an argument let God have that argument um, we don't need to be the ones fighting and arguing and, 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 and disagreeing with people, especially in public or uh, social media, which is the same thing. That's for free. That's not in the, my notes. That wasn't, you don't have to write that down, but maybe think about it a little bit. So anyway, um, so as, as this is going on, uh, you know, again, the, the, the oxen stumble, Uzzah reaches out. So the ark is not being transported according to the biblical instructions, and Uzzah dies when he reaches out to try and save the ark. Um, God had made it very clear; Uzzah was not a descendant, like a direct descendant of Abraham or not Abraham, um, Aaron. So he was not allowed to touch the ark. He just wasn't. It just wasn't. That wasn't. He wasn't allowed. And so when he reaches out to touch the ark, that's a capital offense. The Bible had made that abundantly clear. It was no surprise to anybody that he would have died if he reached out to touch the ark. And you stop for a second and you say, "Wait a minute." This is the representation of the presence of God among the people. It's about to fall. He's afraid that it's going to fall and go rolling down the hill. What a shame. What a disgrace. What what a terrible thing. And he tries to, to save it. He meant well. And it was probably just a reflex or an instinct anyway. He meant well. Why did he have to die? Because God is holy. God is holy. There are certain things that God said, this is a capital offense. There is no way around it. Do not do this. Uzzah did one of those things, and so he had to die. Now, God did not leave it to the people. Uh, He did not leave it to David, even though David was the king at this time. God did not leave leave it in the hands of man's justice. God made it clear that he had killed Uzzah because he had touched the ark. He died, he fell, he dropped dead right there by the ark. God can protect the ark. He can protect his things. He can protect what is his. And and that is made clear in this passage. I think we have to recognize that David was doing a good thing. Uzzah was doing a good thing. The people of Israel were doing a good thing, but they were not doing it God's way. That changes things. When we go about doing the good things that we do, We must do them God's way. David or somebody made a mistake by not having Levites carry the ark. David doesn't address this as a mistake, uh, but Uzzah made a mistake by reaching out and touching the ark, trying to save it from falling. He made a mistake. We have to realize that even doing good things, if we're not doing them the way God has prescribed, we still walk in a dangerous place. Now, Here's something else that's interesting. David is angry that Uzzah broke the law of God and he is afraid of what might happen next. We see these things. So, the text doesn't say that David is directly angry at God. That doesn't make sense. I'm angry at this cloud because it rains, right? That doesn't make sense, does it? That's what clouds do. They rain. I'm angry at God for being just. That's who he is. He is just. I can't be angry at God for being just when that's truly who he is. That's part of his character. I'm angry at God for being holy. He is holy. I can't be angry at God for being holy. So he's not angry at God for God doing what God was going to do no matter what, but he's angry at the situation. Maybe he's not at a point where he's saying, you know what, I did wrong, Um, but he's definitely angry at the situation, and it seems like probably his anger might be something like how we might get angry at somebody if we watch them make a mistake that's going to get them hurt. You ever did that? You ever been in a situation where you watch somebody and you know, hey, you shouldn't do this. You really shouldn't do this. Mm, You shouldn't have to do that. We've been there, and we get angry sometimes because we know that that could have been avoided. That, that, that's a mistake that didn't have to happen, but it was through negligence. It was through, it was through not using all the information that you have. It caused a problem. We've probably all been there at some time, and it is that kind of anger probably is what David had. But he's also afraid. He says, wow, if, if this is the way the ark is, I can't bring it into Jerusalem because if one man makes one mistake and it costs him his life, what if we make a mistake? Will God not destroy or wipe all of us out if you know we, because the ark is in our presence and so David reaches this point where he is he is afraid now this fear this is a good thing for David David deepens his respect and his reverence and his awe of who God is in this moment this is a good thing so when this happens it does change the way that David looks so or the way that David looks at God So David's doing this thing. It doesn't go right because he's not doing it God's way and it deepens his reverence. It deepens his understanding of the holiness of God and it's going to change the way that he proceeds later when he does eventually bring the ark in. So it is a good thing at the end of it. Now, what we have to realize about this this whole part of it right here is that there are some sins. There are some mistakes and those mistakes are learned from. We don't clearly see a a repentance. We don't clearly see that. But what we do see ultimately is that things change and things get better Um, or things are done better, I guess, is, is, is the way to say that. So David kind of, at least for a little while, he abandons his plan to bring the ark to Jerusalem. He, he's going to leave it off at the house of another Levite. It's much nearer Jerusalem, but it's still at the house of a Levite. Um, it, it is, there, there's a mill or a threshing place there. The Archaeology can't tell you exactly where this house was, um, but there was a mill or some kind of threshing place there. Um, that's, that's the one thing that we do know about where the ark stayed for that three months. Um, so... We have to. The, the thing that we take away from this part of it, I think, is, is that that when we serve the Lord, our fear of the Lord should cause us to seek out His instruction, to walk carefully in His path that He's carved for us. There are a multitude of good things we can do that still aren't right because we won't do them the way God has commanded us to. So let's look at this next part. The next part um, is. Um, I see in it the faith of a king, because, because David goes a different route, like a whole different route as we go into this. So the ark does rest for three months in the house of um, Obed-Edom, uh, and he and all of his household is blessed. And so what this means is like he and his wife, he and his children, he and any servants, anybody that had anything to do with his household, they're all blessed, and it's, it's, it's beyond... The people of Israel were a blessed people. So, it's beyond what would be normal, normal blessing. So, you're, see, you're seeing some, some abundance of God's favor and blessing being poured out on this family. That's what you're seeing there. So much so that it's notable, and people go and tell David about it. So, David hears about this, and that's when things begin to change. So, when David learns that the resting place of the ark is blessed, he decides that he can bring it into his city. Um, God is holy. If I serve God and I do it wrong, he'll kill me, so I should never serve God. Is that a logical statement? No. That's almost where David was at the end of the first part. God's holy. If I I bring this ark, but I don't do it right, people are going to die, so I'm not going to bring the ark. That was about where David was, and he needed to change. He needed to recognize that God is holy. God is good, and when I serve God correctly, I am blessed. So let me serve God correctly. That's the place where David needed to be. And that's where he gets, as we get deeper into this passage, that's where he becomes. Um, so we have, again, this huge processional. We would have had a lot of people involved in this. More worship, um, um, more singing, more of, of, of the same uh, kind of celebration that we're, we're looking at. Also, we have Levites now bearing or carrying... The ark, that's what the Bible said should happen. And so now, finally, we're doing it the way that God prescribed it. Now, it, was that just luck? Did David just luck up on the right answer? Probably not. Probably he found out. Um, we, can, we can get the Bible anywhere. You can download an app on your phone. Um, you can buy Bibles. You can order them off Amazon. They'll be here in two days. You, can, you used to could go to Bible bookstores. Um, But you can get a Bible pretty much any way you want to now. So we have the ability to know what God said about a topic. It wasn't quite like that in David's day. He probably did have to go to an expert. He probably did have to go to someone that was a keeper of the Word of God to get these very explicit details about how you transport the ark. But in the first time, it seems like there was no plan. It was just what everybody thought was best. And this time, there is a plan. And so I want you to notice, these Levites, they take six steps with the ark, and then they make a sacrifice. They make a burnt offering, they make a peace offering. And and what I want you to see in that is, is, is that that was not by accident. Very, very likely, these six steps that they took were something to do with the six days of creation. And that seventh step, before they took the seventh step, there was a sacrifice which seems to very much line up with the Sabbath. And so it was a symbolic way of recognizing God as creator, God as the powerful one, God as the, as the one that directs all of our paths and, and has made everything that we know. So it is a, it is a reference to God as, um, as not just holy, but also an authority. Um, so that, that is... That is the way that God prescribes. So they're, they're doing now what God would have them to do. So in the department of, is that what God wanted them to do? Notice David in this, in this passage of Scripture. David is wearing a priest's ephod. So he's wearing the priest's clothing. David is making sacrifices. David is leading this worship. Now David, to our knowledge, was not a Levite. He was not a descendant of Aaron. He was not a priest, right? That, that's, what we, that's what we know, but here's the thing, David conquered Jerusalem. Now if we think way, way back to what we know, uh, Abraham met the king of Salem one time. His name was Melchizedek, and he was a priest of the Lord and the king of Salem. Now it is likely, and we know that in the New Testament, the Bible indicates that David was of that line of Melchizedek. It seems that and David had not been a priest or acted as a priest before, that, before he took Jerusalem. So it seems that when David took Jerusalem, God bestowed upon him that right to be a priest in the line of Melchizedek. So David is acting as a priest in this passage. He is wearing the priestly garments. He is making sacrifices. He is fulfilling that role. So he is fulfilling two of the three roles that Jesus himself would fulfill— so prophet, priest, and king. David is fulfilling two of them. He is not a prophet, but he is a priest, and he is a king, and he is acting as such. So the, the sentence there, David is acting as a priest because he has taken on the historic role of Melchizedek. Aren't you glad I didn't understand, uh, underline Melchizedek? I went easy on you, priest. All you got to do is remember I before E sometimes. Um, so anyway, so David is acting as a, as, a, as a priest at this time. That is not disobedient. Um, that is not against God. Apparently, that is the role that God had given him. We're past that, you know, shoot from the hip, unplanned or, or unresearched stuff. David did that and somebody died. And so now he is doing what he understands for God to, has told him to do. So he is walking that path. Um, so anyway, so that's why it seems that he is walking in that ancient priestly line. Um, and, and so the New Testament teaches us that. So David's worship would have been just ecstatic as he's entering into uh, the city. So that's, that's something that we need to, to recognize. Uh, and once the ark was in its place, he presides over more burnt offerings and peace offerings. He goes through this whole worship process. Now... Everybody worships God differently, right? Do you think that everybody was just dancing with all of their strength and all of their might as as the ark was coming in? Maybe some of the young folks were, maybe not. Maybe some of the middle-aged were, maybe not. Maybe some of the old folks were, maybe not. David was. And what I will suggest to you is that if we look at David's life up to this point, David had reason to dance. David had reason to celebrate. God had been with him in a very real and tangible way from his youth. He gave God credit. Even when he was a shepherd and and he would fight against lions and bears and things like that, he gave God credit for that. So in his mind, that was God's victory. When we see him stand before Goliath, he's not saying, hey, I'm big and strong and killed lions and bears and all that, so I'm going to kill you. No, he says, I come before you in the name of the Lord, just like I did with the lions and bears. I come before you in the name of the Lord, God will give me victory. When we see the battles of David, David always went out and was more successful than everybody else. Not because he was necessarily a better warrior. He may have been. Not because he was necessarily strategic or had more men or things like that. He went before the enemies of God and he defeated them because God was with him. God was with him every step of the way. Think about some of the depths of emotion and pain and sorrow David would have went through through his life making his way to the, the crown he would have looked at saul as a father figure and then saul was throwing spears at him and and pursuing him and trying to kill him it was saul's rage and jealousy that separated david from jonathan a, a, a man that he loved like a brother david finds out that saul jonathan and, and 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 many of saul's sons are dead and he mourns but through all of this god was with him God was his strength. God was his provider. God was directing his path every step of the way. He had much, much to worship God for. And so he was worshiping God ecstatically. He was worshiping God and, and he might have even been or appeared to be out of his mind. You know there's a passage in the New Testament where Paul says if, if, if it appears that we are out of our minds for Jesus, it's just because we have a reason to be. That's something that we have to recognize there are going to be different times and different stages in our lives when our worship is going to look different. There probably better be a time where we are out of our minds for Jesus, that we are worshiping him beyond comprehension. Nobody else, that's a conversation between you and God. Nobody else in the room is going to understand. You are just lifting up your hands and praising him, or you are down on your knees, face down, giving him glory. It's going to be different for everybody, but there needs to be a moment when we are not wrapped up in ourselves, but we are surrendered to God. And so David was there. So that's the kind of worship he had. He saw God as the reason for his place as king. He saw God as the reason for his survival as a person. And so what he does, David leads the people of Israel in appropriate worship because the ark had been brought into the city of Jerusalem. So he is celebrating what God has done. And and that's what's going on. So it's good for us to get excited sometimes about God. It's good for us to raise our voices. It's good for us to sing. It is good for us to, to celebrate God in any way that God leads us to. Um, what we have to understand is that even though David's worship was ecstatic, it was not ignorant. It was, it was not uninformed. It was, it was not irrational he was celebrating God because of things that he knew to be true. And so that's what we have to recognize. Um, if you don't know anything about God, I don't know why you would worship him. If you don't know anything about God, I don't know why you would raise your voice and celebrate. It is when we know things about God. It is the more we know about God, the longer we walk with him, the deeper our relationship with him is. That's the, deep, the, the depth of our worship. And so it should get more intense as we go, not, not less. So it's our responsibility as, as believers, to, to look for the path that God has for us. David is on the right path. He is following God the way he's supposed to. Then his worship is deep. Then his worship um, is, is powerful. And so when we, when we are in our lives trying to follow God, if we search, the Bible is clear, he will show us the way. If we are faithful, he is faithful. He will show us. So it is our responsibility to have the faith, to trust, that God's ways, they are greater, they are higher, they are better than ours. So let's look at his wife. There at the very end, um, Michelle, um, Yet David had multiple wives at this point, but Michelle was the wife that he had quote-unquote won after he defeated Goliath. Um, congratulations, you have a woman that, that despises you, that lives with you, and you have to pay that she has food. So anyway, so that's what he got. Um, So during this celebration, uh, it it seems that many of the women actually participated in the celebration. Sometimes there were things that happened in Israel and women weren't allowed, but this seems to be a case where women were allowed. Not just women of high social status, but even like servants. Everybody seems to have been um, welcome to come to this uh, procession, to come to this worship service. But Michelle, for whatever reason, she wasn't part of the processional. She was up in a window watching everything. She was observing um, from a, a distance there. Um, and as she's watching, her heart turns against David. It says that, that she despised him in that moment. So Michal demonstrates that she is still a daughter of Saul as she hates David because of his relationship with the Lord. That's what it's about. She is jealous over the fact that he has a relationship with God. She doesn't have that relationship. You know, some of the things that we've seen about her, she is married to David. Um, she even kind of, sort of, warns David, maybe saving his life one time. But she also was sent to another man to be married. Um, that, that apparently was a marriage that she enjoyed being in. But she was brought out of that marriage, brought back to David. And at this point, she shows her, you know, she shows that, that she took after her dad. She hates David because of his relationship with the Lord, and she begins, to, that, she begins to deteriorate as a person at that point. We do see that. So after these sacrifices have been completed, um, David does show great generosity. So, so David gives out... Um, Cakes of bread, he gives out meat, he gives out raising cakes. This is generosity. He's giving it to everybody that's there. We have to recognize that good worship, like good obedience to God, good worship is going to lead to gratitude. And so he definitely does that. Um, But then he returns home. When he returns home, he is wanting to give a blessing to his household. Um, And so that's one of the things that he is doing. Now, the reality is there may possibly have been multiple stops that he had to make in order to bless all of his household people living in multiple houses. Um, so when he reaches shell, he's not greeted. Uh, instead, she comes out and confronts him. Um, she starts with sarcasm. Um, she, she definitely starts with that really, really bad, kind of a, a negative statement um, because she says, "...how the king of Israel honored himself today." Well, David didn't do anything for himself that day. Um, that was, it, nothing was about him, but, but that's how she starts, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Um, so uh, she, she kind of confronts him. She makes a baseless accusation against David because of her jealousy. Um, she says that he's uncovering himself and that he's being indecent. Well, the Bible tells us that he was wearing the, the, the robes, that he was wearing the outfit of a priest. He had not uncovered himself. Now, probably what she meant is that he wasn't wearing the royal robes that he was supposed to wear because the Bible actually gave clear instruction of how a priest was supposed to dress, how a king was supposed to dress. Remember, Saul's robes, Saul's clothing, that was important. That was, that was an identifier of his kingship. And when David cut a piece of it off, if you'll remember in that story, that actually affected Saul's standing. And so if David was not wearing the royal robes, which would have made perfect sense because it was not about him that day. It was about God. Instead, he was wearing the priestly robes. That's probably what she was indicating was that that he was not clothed as a king. He was uncovered as a normal person. But she references um, worthless people because she's trying to make this insult really sting and really hurt. So she says that he's no better than the worthless men of the city. Um, But again, the text tells us he was wearing priestly robes. So if you've heard people say before, David danced naked before the Lord they believed the fake news that Michelle was spreading, not what the Bible actually says. She, He was wearing priestly robes at this time. He was dancing. He was very energetically dancing, and, and he probably was not wearing anything royal at that time, but he was fulfilling that role of a priest, and so that's what he was wearing. So... Um, Everything that David was doing was to bring glory to the Lord, um, and he was fine with himself being more contemptible in the eyes of the enemies of the Lord. That was totally fine with him. David is willing to be shamed before all people in order to glorify God. Now, was David acting shamefully? No. David was not doing something sinful or shameful. He was not being disobedient to God. He was not doing anything that would have lessened the glory of the throne of Israel. He was not doing any of those things. But in Michelle's eyes, because of her jealousy, because of, now she hated David, because David had a great relationship with God and she saw it firsthand, that was why she said what she said. And so what we have to recognize is that when we worship, when we follow God, to people that are not believers, it's going to look shameful. It's going to look like we're silly. It's going to look like we we don't make any sense. And so, like for example... If you were to go down to one of the learning establishments in a town, like a college or something, and you were to walk into, let's say, the, the life sciences department and just emphatically say the earth was created in six days, that would be an act of worship and everybody there would think you were a moron. You would lose credibility among all those people. But that would be an act of worship because you, you made a sacrificial statement because now your reputation, the, the value that people place on you is lessened. And so we have to recognize that, that, that as we serve God faithfully, as we are zealous for God, the world will not like us. But that's okay. We don't need the world to like us. David was willing to let go of his self-importance. That's probably why he didn't wear his kingly robes. He was able to let go of all of that and just worship God. And Michelle hated him for that. And the enemies of God are going to hate us for that kind of thing. So we need to be willing to let go of our self-awareness. Not self-awareness, the good part of it, but just... I'm always aware of myself. I'm always worried about what people are thinking. Don't worry about that. When it's you and God, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. That is an audience of one at that moment. You are worshiping God. You are dealing with God and God alone. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks in that moment. Um, This does not mean that we act irrationally. It simply means that we acknowledge that our actions in worship are not about us. They are completely about God. Okay, so the world will always be hostile to people who take their worship of God very seriously. Um, If we don't care about our image um, because we're worshiping God, the world's gonna be hostile to that. And I think the reason is they, they don't know how to let go. Everything is reputation. Everything is appearance. Everything is image. When we don't care about our reputation and image because we're concerned about God, that's threatening. Who says you get to not worry about your reputation and image? You have to worry about it just as much as we do. We don't. We can focus on God and let the world be the world and do what the world does. And there's a segment of the population that will always hate us for it, like Michelle. But there's also a segment of the population that God has set aside that will always recognize that for what it is, true spiritual worship. There is a group that will always recognize it that way. Uh, we must realize that we f- will find enemies in every corner of the world as we faithfully serve God. That's just going to happen. But we need to be willing in this moment. I'm, I've read the rest of 2 Samuel. This, this statement doesn't hold up in other chapters. But in this chapter, we must look to mimic David's attitude that he is willing to be dishonored to bring glory to the name of the Lord. Now, David didn't do anything dishonorable. Don't misunderstand me. He was not dishonorable in what he did. But to some he was not acting as a king should act. Well, that's okay. So men, there are going to be times where you won't act as a man should act in order to worship God. Ladies, there may be times that you don't act as a lady should act in order to worship God. That doesn't mean anything bad or wrong. That just means that maybe we're not, we're not concerned with our own image in that moment. We're not concerned with our own reputation. We're not concerned with making sure that everybody knows that we're sane all the time. Why is that? Why do we care so much about what people think? except at Walmart. But everywhere else, we care what people think about how we look and, and how we present ourselves and, and how we live. We care what people think about us. If we spent the time and energy and effort that we worry about how, what people think about us, if we spent that much time worried about what God thinks about us, our lives would be different. And so the, the, the challenge as we walk away from here is worship God. Worship Him in the way that He deserves to be worshipped. Worship Him as if no one else is watching. Let your life be a worship. There's going to be times you do things that are irrational to everybody else around you, but as long as you're being obedient to God, praise be to God, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Worship God. Live a life that doesn't acknowledge this world and its standards, but acknowledges God and His standards. He has called us to be holy. Be holy. Walk His way. Don't go your way. Don't go the world's way. Go His way. And that will honor Him and you will truly worship him. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together, and I thank you for your word, and in this moment, the example of David, where he just worshiped you, he didn't care what other people thought. I pray that we can live that kind of life. I pray that we can live a life where we don't care what people think about us. We don't care if people think that we're about half crazy. As long as they know that we're about half crazy for you, that's okay. Father, I pray that we would, we would be faithful to you. I pray that we would not only worry about doing good things, but doing good things Your way. That as we live out our lives, that we would make sure that above all else, we are surrendered to You. That we are worshiping You. That we find all of our strength and safety and security in You. For it is all about You, Lord. I pray that we can live that life that we can set aside all of the demands and the distractions that this world has. It's so easy for us to get caught up in that. We walk out of these doors, we're going, to, we're going to face the world. We're going to face the distractions that come with the world. We won't go looking for trouble, but trouble will find us. I pray that you remind us that you are there. And you are still worthy, even when we step out of these doors. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.